All right, and I believe I am live. <laughs> uh, happy whatever day it is today. I always seem to forget it's Wednesday. All right. Uh, welcome back to the most unprofessional show on YouTube. So today, the masculine to my own to my toxic is not here today. The the lovely wife is stuck at work, so it's just going to be the two of us. Or the, let's see how many people are on here, uh, the eight of us. <laughs> Presumably more people will come on soon. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Mark in Alberta says, hey, fatty, you need a calendar and a Sharpie. It's not February anymore. <laughs> Mark in Alberta, I'm going to buy you a coffee one day. I will go to Alberta and we'll, uh, we'll hang out. I love, I love those kind of jokes. Go ahead and... And bring it on, ladies and gentlemen. I like that kind of crap. Uh, uh, mock me all you want. Uh, I don't know. I thrive on that kind of thing. I don't know. I, I, I think that's very funny. Um, all right. So I guess we'll just get right into the news. Oh, I'm wearing the exact same thing I wore yesterday because two people, two people were like, I love that jacket sweatshirt combo. And I was like, well, all right. You know what? Just for you guys, I'll wear it again. I normally don't wear the same thing twice in a row. I do tend to wear this jacket on uh, Toxic Masculinity. I don't wear it on Mr. Reagan. I wear the button-up shirts. But this is uh, Cole, K-U-H-L. That's the brand. It's very similar to my last name, Coles, K-O-H-L-S. Um, Toxic Army. That's right, Mark. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, this is... Uh, I, I love this jacket. I just bought it by chance once when I was going up to Oregon. Uh, I needed some... Oregon outdoorsy kind of clothes, and uh, we ran into ran into REI, and we grabbed this, and people seem to really love this jacket. I don't, I did, I didn't think it was as amazing as it is, but apparently it's fantastic. So, all right, we got a few more people in the uh, on the live stream now, so let's go ahead and get into the news, shall we? Um, I'm I'm so sorry, Valeria's not here. The show is just not the same without her. I I know that. I do know that. Um, all right, let me try to find where I have the stories broken down here. So number one story. Did Joe Biden break the law by ending the border wall construction? It's an interesting question, and it, it turns out that he may have actually broken the law by stopping construction on border wall. Uh, let's have a look here. Desktop. There we go. Uh, how Biden may have broken the law by not building Trump's wall. I love this. I love I hope that Somehow this is figured out that he's sued, that the administration is sued or something like that, and we can get this wall back going. Um, the truth is, I think Biden would love to build the wall. I think Biden would love to get that wall finished, uh, you know, pretend to be dragged in, kicking and screaming. Oh, no, we don't want to build the wall, but we have to. Oh, you know, because the law requires it. So I think it may be true that although he, he may... He may want to be sued. He may want the administration sued, so he's forced to, to build the wall. Why might he want to build this wall? Just consider how bad the border crisis has become. It's so unbelievably bad. It's, it's bad optics. It's bad PR. Even, even from a, you know, a, far, like a leftist administration that is beloved by the media, even, even they can't get away with this. Excuse me, I've got a pop popcorn kernel. That's not good. In the middle of my broadcast, 
That's right. I had popcorn last night. Big mistake. People say if you if you're on a diet, you should eat popcorn. It's good for you, but no, no. Keto. That's the way to go. Forget the popcorn. All right, let's have a look at this. Um, yeah, what I was trying to say was I think that Joe Biden would basically be, to some degree, would be saved by the border wall, right? If there was no way for illegal immigrants to cross the border, Joe Biden would have a much easier time of things, right? Uh, he wouldn't have these pictures coming out, uh, uh, you know, of these migrants that look like Chipotle burritos wrapped up in tinfoil, you know, packed into these uh, clear, I don't know what they're made of, uh, plastic cages, and uh, yeah, it's bad optics. Even for even even in the left wing media, you know, it's it's funny because I don't think they want to make Biden look bad, but I also think that now the the left wing media sees that that Trump's gone, and they don't have a common enemy, and so there we go. I finally got it somehow. Um, <laughs> they finally have a they you know they they finally have a little bit of breathing room. They don't have all this like hate clouding their minds they can now see oh actually yeah the democrats have a little little bit of a problem here and some leftist media is willing to post these photos is willing to talk about the border crisis and it's not making the biden administration look good they look terrible so any desperate move they can make i I talked about yesterday they had uh, put all this money into hotels glenn beck pointed out that if it's whatever they said it was going to be like 1200 families are going to stay in these hotels and they paid like 86 million dollars for them or something these hotel rooms so glenn beck is like that's a lot of money for each family like he did the calculation he's like that's a a, way too much money for each family uh to house them but i think probably it's over time so it would be 12 1200 families at a time uh being housed in these hotel rooms over a long period of time that would be my guess so it's probably not the math probably doesn't work out quite as Glenn Beck was saying, but, um, you know, he does make a good point. It's an obscene amount of money to spend on hotel rooms. Why are we spending money on hotel rooms for these these illegal immigrants? Like, just figure out how to process them quickly and get them the heck back into their home countries. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I think that in order to, you know, you know, to, to halt this crisis, right, to uh, cauterize the wound that we have, yeah, I think that Biden would love to continue working on the border wall, but he can't admit that it was a good idea from Trump. He can't admit that this was actually necessary. And so, because they, you know, they obviously, they called it racist for so long. So I think something like um, a, a mandate from the judicial system, the judicial, whatever you would call it, uh, branch of the government. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, uh, would actually be very beneficial to Joe Biden because then he wouldn't, he wouldn't have any kind of culpability. Right. It wouldn't be on him that he, you know, he was forced to build this wall. So I think that is what he wants. So it might have even been leftists that leaked this story or, you know, pushed this to the to the medium. Let's see here um, how, how Biden may have broken the law by not building Trump's wall. Investigation gets underway into freezing of billions in construction funds as administration struggles to contain border crisis. See, I don't think that a, an investigation would have been allowed if the Democrats didn't really want the wall, I think the Democrat politicians actually want the wall. This is this is to me this is hilarious, and and astonishing. Let's see here, but it makes sense. It makes sense. Joe Biden immediately halted. Well, let me not read these little uh, checkpoints here. Let, let me just read the whole thing. So, Joe Biden may have broken the law by halting the structure of the border wall. It emerged on Tuesday as the Government Accountability Office launched an inquiry. Yeah, there's no way they would have been allowed to do this if the Democrats didn't want them to. 
The president uh, campaigned on the promise of immediately ending the building work along the U.S.-Mexican border. <clears throat> and once in office, he kept his promise. On Tuesday, Charles Young, public affairs officer for the GO GAO, GAO, what's GAO? I know, I mean, I've heard that a million times. I don't know what it is. All right, confirmed that they were investigating whether Biden was legally allowed to end construction because the funding had already been approved. Uh, Congress approved nearly $1.4 in border wall funding in December 2020 for fiscal year 2021 as part of a former $900 billion coronavirus stimulus package. Isn't that great? Trump's so awesome. All right. He was in the Congress a long time, said Roy Blunt, chair of the Senate Republican uh, Policy Committee. He told Politico he knows it's Congress's job to authorize how the money is spent and the president's job to spend it efficiently. Oh, man, look at that border wall. That's such a beautiful wall. Trump is right. It's such a beautiful wall. And look at this. Look at these parts of the wall that lay unused. This is just disgusting. Look at this. Look at this. These could all be up. These could all be up. You see this? You can walk right through here. You can walk right there. As soon as they're erected, can't walk through them. Can't walk through them. Just erect these. It's it's not that much money. It can happen really fast. Trump's been talking about this. It's ridiculous. Their investigation comes after a group of 40 Republican senators led by Shelley Moore, uh, sorry, Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia wrote to the GAO saying the order... Uh, to stop construction had contributed to a humanitarian and national security crisis at the border. The president's, so, I mean, it is being pushed by conservatives. So maybe I'm wrong about Democrats wanting the wall, but I don't think so. If they're smart, they're going to go with this. If because this is an out for them, right? If they're smart, they will, they will let this go through. They will let the judicial branch tell them that they must build the wall and then they'll do it. Right. I mean, if they're really smart, they will, tell a, a you know like a leftist judge all right we're gonna have this case brought to you and we need you to force us to do it right because you know that's how the democrats work right it's all a bunch of scams and and con jobs and you know it's all it's all just criminality like none of it's legit so if they tell a leftist judge that this is the way we need a case to you know to end up that judge will make sure that the case ends up that way so yeah i mean if they're smart they'll go go through with it oh we got some uh We've got some saucy pictures here that are a little bit distracting. Let me scroll down slightly. Okay, there we go. Um, all right, the president's actions are, are also a blatant violation of federal law and infringe on Congress's constitutional power of the purse, they wrote. We write regarding these actions, blah, 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 blah. Let's see here. The Biden administration has to be really careful about doing stuff like this because otherwise they're just going to be doing the exact thing the Trump administration did. That's not true. <laughs> the Trump administration did nothing like that. Uh, just at the other end of the political spectrum, said Dylan Hedter Gaudette. Gaudette? I don't know. Something French. Uh, a manager at a watchdog group project on government oversight in conversation with Politico. White House officials add that Biden's end to border wall construction has been former, uh, formal and public with plenty of time left to legally spend that cash and clear uh, instructions that federal agencies must allow, uh, so, sorry, must follow spending law. I sometimes, I sometimes lose the ability to read. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Even if GAO decides Biden has illegally halted border wall funding, he is unlikely to face any formal punishment. The news of GAO investigation of the GAO investigation came amid an escalating crisis on the border where migrant arrivals are surging and the Biden administration is struggling to cope. 
Yeah. I. Okay. All right. We could keep reading about this, but I. I mean, it's going to say all the stuff that I'm. You know, I think it's just going to be start to get repetitive. Uh, the point is that my theory, and I don't know, I, mean, I might be wrong, but my theory is that if, you know, if Biden's smart, well, okay, we know Biden's not smart. If the people controlling Biden have any brains at all, <laughs> they're going to use this to get the wall built the rest of the way so that they can, you know, reduce the, the border crisis. That's what I think is going on. But let us move on. To the next story. If you guys disagree with me or you think something else, please write something in the comments and we will discuss it at the end of the show. I can't take comments, by the way, until... Oh, Valer Valeria's texting me. She's written, intro! Alright, let's do the intro. <laughs> She's watching the show. Hello, Valeria. Let's see here. You can chat with Valeria in the comment section now uh, if you want. Uh, I guess she's going to be... She's going to be in there so she might respond to you. Who knows? Uh, everybody say hi. All right, let's play the intro. Toxic masculinity. That's right, this is Toxic Masculinity, and I'm your host, Chris Coles, a.k.a. Mr. Reagan, but without the beautiful wife. All right. Let us go on to the next story. I Actually, let me just click on it here. Oh, yeah, this one. Yeah. Okay. Twitter says calling the Syrian-born Muslim a white Christian terrorist is not misinformation. <laughs> yeah, this is this is annoying, actually. I find this... God, Twitter. So for those of you who don't know, I actually made a three-part uh, video about Twitter and about how irresponsible they are and how biased they are and how, um, and how much they lie. Uh, so I really encourage everybody to watch that. I mean, you know, I would say just watch the first one if you if you're if you're but they're also good like I, i'm not saying that because i'm like some kind of genius but um i mean obviously but uh the first part the second part and the third part are all critical because they all show different kinds of lies and different ways that jack dorsey and his um his minion vajaya uh get away with there was an echo in the intro yeah that happens yeah i should have turned my volume off but whatever um uh, it all shows how they lie and how they manipulate and how they're, they've are they got a double standard and they're all hypocrites and stuff like that. And Trump said he was thinking about starting his own um, social media site. And I was thinking, maybe I'll do my own social media site. I haven't decided. I'm, I'm deciding between two different kinds of social media sites that I would want to commission somebody to build for me. Um, and, I, and I have a friend who's doing a social media site as well. So maybe I'll combine it with his. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to call him and ask what he's up to. I haven't talked to him in a while, but uh, yeah, maybe I'll do my own Mr. Reagan style social media site. It won't be, I don't think I want to do something that's just like purely conservative, but I, I do want to do something. I do want to do something. So stay tuned. Watch this space as they say in Britain. Um, okay. So, right. So Twitter, Twitter says calling Ahmad al Aliwi Elisa, a white Christian terrorist doesn't violate its misinformation policy. And this is like, you know, this is this is in keeping with Twitter tradition, which is that they um, they seemed to tailor all of their rules to subjugating, um, you know, conservatives to strict rules and strict rules and all this kind of like uh, trying to censor them. 
There we go. There's the other one. All right. Uh, kicking, kicking us off the platform, banning us, censoring us in whatever way they can. They tailor their rules to be able to censor conservatives and to avoid censoring leftists. It's really weird. Like, there are so many lies. There are so many lies on the left that just go unchecked by Twitter. They just have no interest in, in fact-checking them. But every single thing that conservatives say is not only fact-checked, but often erroneously fact-checked. I mean, the most famous cases, of course, is the New York Post article where they were talking about uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, right? That whole article was banned from the site, despite the fact that it was 100% true. And, you know, t Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey had to come and apologize afterwards, but he wasn't. Was he sorry? I mean, I doubt it. I doubt it. They just love screwing with conservatives and helping leftists. And that's why we need to make our own social media sites. All right, let's have a look here. Um, okay, Twitter told Newsweek, this is Newsweek magazine, which isn't even a conservative, uh, whatever you call it, a journal or, art, you know, publication. Let's call it a publication. Twitter told Newsweek that uh, characterizing accused mass killer Ahmad al-Aliwi Alisa, I, gotta, I just, I just got to... I just got to do that name a few times so I can get it in my head. Uh, as a white Christian terrorist doesn't violate its misinformation policies, even though Elisa is from Syria and has been identified as Muslim. Authorities charged Elisa, 21, with 10 counts of first-degree murder in connection with Monday's mass killing in King Super's grocery store. Why did it have to be such a silly name for a grocery store? Uh, in Boulder, Colorado. But prior to the suspect's identity being made public, the magazine did numerous... Uh, said numerous Twitter users uh, assumed the suspect was white and characterized the massacre as another example of racial injustice and white supremacy in the United States um, as it followed the mass killings in Atlanta by a white male. Uh, we we discussed this yesterday. Um, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, we, we can get into more depth here. Let's see here. Uh, and lo and behold, that white supremacy narrative blew up in uh, Twitter users' faces when authorities revealed that Elisa's family emigrated to the U.S. from Syria, and that his own brother said in the past Elisa was bullied for being Muslim. Um, let's see here. More from Newsweek. Some users have deleted their tweets calling him white. Others have defended their claims, saying they were based on Elisa's skin color rather than his ethnicity. Uh, Newsweek put the misleading posts to Twitter. The social network has been accused... Sorry. That's kind of a weird way of putting that. Newsweek put the misleading posts to Twitter. That sentence doesn't actually make sense. All right. The social network has been accused of left-wing bias and anti-Christian prejudice in the way that it um, policies, oh, polices, <laughs> uh, an anti-Christian bias in the way that it polices speech on its platform. Absolutely true. 100% true. It absolutely is biased 100%. Watch my videos if you're, if you're not sure about that. And I, and I recommend watching all three, even though it's quite long if you watch all three. If you, watch the, if you look at the view numbers, it, progressively it's like halved every time. It's like the first video did okay, the second video did pretty terrible, and the last video like nobody watched. <laughs> but all three videos are excellent. If you want to know why Jack Dorsey thinks the way he does... Watch the third video. Watch the third video, Twitter video, because he reveals, kind of, he suggests sort of in the last video, at the, at the end of this interview that he did with um, Joe Rogan, that he hates his father, right? And I think that's, I think that's what it comes from, because his father was a, a staunch Republican, and his mother was a strong Democrat, 
And he hated his father, I think, and he loved his mother. And so he he's he hates Republicans because of his father. It's it's kind of sad, actually. But you know, the the funny thing is, right? He I think he considers his father like a bit of a bully, maybe. And so he uh, has now he has now all this power, and so he's he's uh, censoring the you know the the people that he considers bullies, which are conservatives, right? He considers them the bad people because he doesn't like his father. Um, but what he doesn't realize is that he's become the bully. He has become his father. Yeah, interesting point. So now you don't have to watch the third video because I just told you basically everything I say in it. <laughs> in short, um, let's see here. Uh, okay. In January, for example, Twitter locked the account of the Catholic Review, apparently for tweeting an article that described Assistant Health and Human Services Secretary Rachel Levine as a biological man identifying as a transgender woman. I don't, I don't know how that would be a violation of their policies. I'm, I'm very, very, very aware of their policies because, you know, I watched this entire interview with them, and this actually shouldn't violate their policies. The way that they've written this specifically, it shouldn't violate their policies. A Twitter spokeswoman said the white Christian terrorist tweet and other false posts did not violate its rules. The tweets uh, referenced are not in violation of Twitter rules, uh, the spokesman noted, according to the magazine. We will not take action on every instance of misinformation. Currently, our misinformation rules cover COVID-19 misinformation, synthetic and manipulated media, so like deep fakes. And civic integrity. Civic integrity is code for uh, you basically can't say that the 2020 uh, election was not 100% legitimate. Of course, we would never say that on this channel because, as we all know, YouTube, the election of 2020 was totally legitimate. Biden totally won. There was nothing weird going on at all. Okay, moving on. Uh, Newsweek said uh, Twitter's policies on synthetic and manipulated media include deepfake videos and civic integrity. Okay, I just said that. Um, all right, so these are some tweets that Newsweek actually sent to Twitter to show them that, you know, these people were posting misinformation, which I can't believe Newsweek did this. Good job. Good job, Newsweek. Way, way, to, way to have some integrity despite the fact that you're a leftist scum. Okay. A white Christian terrorist killed 10 innocent people with a gun in a grocery store, Colorado, USA. That was um, one tweet from some random person whose name I'm not going to read. Um, let's see here. A second, courtesy of outspoken far-left actress Rosanna Arquette. Rosanna Arquette writes, call it what it is, white supremacist domestic terrorism. <laughs> Somehow it's funnier when she writes, call it what it is, because that's not what it is. It's looking at a briefcase and saying, call it what it is. That is a deadly weapon. I guess if it's got a bomb inside. Okay, bad example. Let's see here. Newsweek also said it sent a tweet from former Democrat Virginia Congressman, uh, congressional nominee, uh, Kasim Rashid. Kasim Rashid, which is really funny because he's, he's a Muslim. Uh, Tamir Rice was a 12-year-old black child. Police shot him in 1.7 seconds and let him suffer in agonizing pain for four minutes and die. Colorado terrorist is a grown white man who killed 10 people, including a cop. Cops arrest him alive and help him to a stretcher for immediate medical care. Okay, this is one thing. This is one thing that I actually want to talk about. Um, 
because this is really a huge problem right now on social media, especially. Because you see all these posts. I, I saw a post the other day which was like, you know, this white guy taken into custody, this black guy shot and killed, this white guy taken into custody, this black guy shot and killed, right? They have a bunch of pictures of, you know, maybe like eight pairs or something like that of white men who were murderers who were taken into custody without incident and black murderers who were taken, who were just killed by police. And this is, this is what we call anecdotal evidence, right? Anecdotal evidence can be great if you want to paint a picture, right? If you want to present an emotional narrative, but it's really bad for statistical data to understand what's going on in the bigger picture. Um, well, potentially, right? Unless it illustrates the bigger picture accurately. Um, the, the biggest problem with anecdotal evidence is that you can use anecdotal evidence to completely distort the actual story. So in this case, that's precisely what they're doing. Okay, so they're showing eight instances of black men who were killed and white men who were uh, taken into custody. But you could equally find, you, you, could, you could very easily go out and find instant uh, incidents or instances. Which one should I choose? Let's say instances. Instances in which white men were killed and black men were apprehended without incident. You know, you could easily find, you know, not only could you find an equal number, you could find more. And the reason you could find more is because it's actually, per encounter, it's actually more likely that you will die as a white man encountering police than you will as a black man. Okay. The reason, so they always say that more black men die per capita, right? So if you take the black population, like let's say there's 100 black people and you say there's 100 white people and, you know, six, six black people die for every 100 uh, black people and five white people die for every 100 white people or something like that, right? So you say, okay, so there's more black people dying than there is white people. Or maybe it's even more than that. Maybe it's like 10 black people for every five white people or something like that. Um. The, the problem with that is that you have way more black crime, right? So you have so many more black criminals committing so many more crimes and like vicious crimes like rape and murder and, and uh, assault and, and armed robbery, stuff like that, that you're going to have many, many, many more encounters between black criminals and cops than you are between white criminals and cops, despite the fact that black people only make up about 13% of the population, um, and I shouldn't say many more because that gives the wrong impression. I think it's something about 50-50, right? So you have, if you took just the white crimes and just the black crimes, you'd find that's about 50-50. But weirdly, they include a lot of Hispanics in, in both groups, but mostly the Hispanics are in the white group. So if you take out the Hispanics, you're probably actually left with, I think, maybe a, a much smaller number of crimes committed by white people than black people. But... Let's go ahead and look at another article here. Well, let me read this first. Michael Harriet, this guy is a total racist. I've read about his life story. He actually, uh, his mother was like this crazy racist woman who used to read him, but she wanted him to be smart. So she'd made him make him read books or she'd read books to him. But she, yeah, she, she, would, she would read books to him, but she'd change all the names of the characters because they were white books, you know, books of like the Hardy Boys, you know white kids and but she would change the names of all the kids to be more black black names and she would pretend that everything that happened in the book was about black people so this guy grew up thinking all of his favorite novels and stuff were about black people he basically grew up in a house where his mom 
basically uh, is almost like the Truman Show, right? Where she created this false reality for him, right? He grew up in a mostly black community. And so he thought mostly black people were in America and like America was like a black country until he got old enough to figure it out. And then he was like, oh man, my, my mom lied to me my whole life. But because his mom was such a crazy racist, he ended up being a crazy racist. Now he writes with a root. I mean, he's just a crazy guy. But he, anyway, he writes up, Pointing out how white suspects get the benefit of the doubt without being stopped, frisked, beaten, shot, or killed is not call for harsh treatment. It simply means we know cops are capable of treating people humanely, just not us. Y'all could use a few more ass whoopings, though. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Michael Harriet. Charming. Charming. He's talking about uh, whooping the asses of white people. What an absolute degenerate racist. First of all, you're wrong. Okay, it's not that black, you know, cops don't bring in black people without beating them or killing them. All right, it happens all the time. They just don't report in the news, right? They report the white people being taken into custody and they report the black people being shot. That's how they report it. So that's how you see it, but that's not the real narrative. You're supposed to be smart, Michael Harriet. You should be going in and you should be looking into the data, right? You should be going into the data, you should be researching this, and you should be finding out the truth. Um, you know, anytime you confront somebody with this, they'll say, oh, that data is just wrong. That data is just false. They lie about it because the white supremacist country. So you can never win. I mean, it's like you provide evidence and people, people just won't accept it. They'll just say, oh, that doesn't fit my narrative. Therefore, it's not true. And, and then they'll provide other data and they'll say, but this data is true. <laughs> That's called cherry picking, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So here, here's one issue with the way the world is, right? If you look up White men are more likely to die in an encounter with police, which is true. Uh, what you'll find, almost almost all of the articles are the opposite, right? Research is clear. White people are not more likely uh, than black people to be killed by police. Uh, study claims white police uh, no more likely to shoot. Okay, so this one's more legit. Um, no more likely to shoot, I'm guessing, um, unarmed black men than unarmed white men. Um, that's that's a good article, probably. I haven't looked at it, but uh, the statistical paradox of police shootings. Um, in aggregate, though, the percentage is higher for white people. 10 out of 100,000 white people killed versus 30 out of, uh, uh, sorry, not 100,000, a million, a million black people because white people tend to encounter blah, 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 blah. Okay, whatever. Uh, black people more, here we go. Black people more than three times as likely as white people to be killed by police. Um, uh, researchers from Northeast Uni Northeastern University confirm white people are not more likely to be killed by police than black people. Almost all of the articles that you will find are about how, I mean, it's, it's very hard to find an article that contradicts the narrative that black people are more likely to be killed by police than white people. That is across the board, what they're telling everybody all the time, you know, every minute of the day, seven days a week, that, that's constantly the narrative coming out of the media. But it's not true. The truth is black people commit more crime and therefore put themselves in position to be killed by police more often per capita, you know, based on their demographic group. Um, but the reality is per incident, white people are more likely to be killed than black people. All right. So let's let's have a look at this. This is from The Washington Post. This is from back before they were completely insane. Uh, 2016, July 2016. Maybe they were already insane at this point. I don't know. But somebody somehow was able to write an article how a controversial study found that police are more likely to shoot whites, not blacks. Boom. Roylan Fryer Jr. Let me just make sure. Let me see if this guy's black or white. Yeah, black. Yeah, I know this guy. That's why I wanted to look him up. Okay, so this is a black guy. Roland Fryer Jr. 
There we go. Never cared much for the cops. When he was growing up, his family dealt crack in Daytona Beach, Florida. And while Fryer was on his way to becoming a celebrated economist at Harvard University, many of his cousins and close friends were serving mandatory sentences in prison during his childhood encounters with police were fraught with danger. Um, I don't I don't 100 percent agree with everything that this guy says, because he still seems to think there's all this systemic racism and stuff like that. But he's much more honest than just about anybody else on the left that talks about this stuff. So I do I, I do like a lot of what he says. Um, the Economist published his findings uh, this week in a draft paper that's already causing controversy. On the one hand, the study shows that nationwide black and Hispanic civilians are indeed more likely to be manhandled, handcuffed, or beaten by the police, even if they are compliant and law-abiding. Fryer writes, the prejudice in law enforcement is real and harmful in many ways, uh, causing cynicism and delusion, especially amongst boys of color. Well, stop committing crimes, maybe? Uh, when it comes to police killings, though, Fryer has painstakingly reviewed evidence from Houston that suggests the police are not racially biased in how they use lethal force. This is a surprising finding that challenges the widespread view that police are disproportionately that police disproportionately shoot black suspects. In Houston, at least, that might not be the case. Or anywhere. Or anywhere. Um, some economists have criticized the report. Let's dismiss that because it's stupid. Um, okay. What's true in Houston, a large multicultural uh, city with a diverse police force, might not be true elsewhere, but it is. Uh, despite its narrow purview, this study still offers one of the first comprehensive and rigorous examinations of some of the most detailed data that exists on police shootings. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh... Okay, findings, blah, 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 blah. Okay, startling data on police shootings. There we go. The data from New York... And the federal survey did not contain enough information about killings by police for Fryer to draw... God, look at this Rachel Levine. You're a dude with long hair. Stop pretending. Okay. Uh, for Fryer to draw conclusions about the lethal use of force, he collected records on police shootings in 10 major police departments between 2000 and 2015. The data showed that officer-reported shootings before uh, being attacked more frequently in encounters with white suspects... Sorry, I didn't read that correctly. I'm going to do it again. The data showed that officers reported shooting before being attacked more frequently in, in encounters with white suspects, while officers said that they were attacked for, uh, first more frequently in encounters with black suspects. So despite the fact that black suspects tend to shoot at cops more frequently than white people, they tend to shoot white people more still, still. Y'all racist against white people. That's the problem. You're pretending that black people, there's this like epidemic of unarmed black men being killed. It's not true. It's not true. They shoot white people more. They shoot white people more. All right. What to make of this pattern was not clear. What do you mean it's not clear? It's absolutely crystal clear. What are you talking about? Without more detail about individual cases, Fryer could not determine whether there was racial bias in their decision to shoot. Of course there is. You know, here, here's the obvious answer. The obvious answer is that police are absolutely terrified of being called racist because they shot a black person or a Hispanic or something like that. But they, there's no consequence to shooting white people. Police officer shoots a white person, nothing happens to them. They stay in their job, everything's fine. So they can shoot white people, no consequence. That's, that's the reason. That's the reason. Okay? You want to know the reason? That's the reason. Of course. All right. So the Economist took a closer look at incidents in Houston, the city that provided the greatest amount of detail. In addition to shootings, he considered cases in which officer, an officer reported that the suspect reacted violently or resisted arrest, but the officer did not shoot. 
in these potentially violent encounters with suspects, there was no disparity in how likely officers from Houston Police Department uh, were to shoot black suspects and white suspects. Here's how Frayer came to his conclusions. That's interesting. That's an interesting point. So if, um, if a suspect became violent, they were as likely to shoot them. But if they... <laughs> But if they were, but if they hadn't shot, right? If they hadn't tried to shoot the police officer or something like that, the police officer was more likely to shoot the white person. <laughs> so it's messed up. Okay, here's how Fryer came to his conclusions. I shouldn't laugh at that. That is messed up. That is messed up. Why? Why did I laugh? It's interesting, huh? Human mind is fascinating, isn't it? All right. Here's how Fryer came to his conclusions. He began with the data on all 507 officer-involved shootings that happened in Houston over the last 15 years. About 52% of those shootings involved a black suspect, while 14% involved a non-black, non-Hispanic suspect. Jeez, that's crazy. That is crazy. 52% of the shootings involved a black suspect, and 14% were white people. That is mental. But again, it's not because they're racist against black people. It's because black people commit so much more crime. All right. Since Houston is 24% black, the fact that more than half the police shootings involve black people might seem like a sign of racial bias. Policing. Yet it's also possible that Houston police more frequently encounter black residents in dangerous situations. Thank you. I can't believe the Washington Post even put out this article. To me, this is amazing. Somebody's probably going to see this and be like, we got to take that article down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is this is the truth, ladies and gentlemen. This is the truth. This is the stuff that needs to get out that nobody talks about. It drives me nuts. I'm sorry I'm taking up so much time with this, but this is important. To account for this possibility, Fryer analyzed encounters with police in which the suspect was arrested on a charge that indicates a potentially dangerous situation. He analyzed arrests in which officers accused the suspect of one of the following charges. Um, assaulting the police officer, attempted capital murder of police officer, resisting arrest, evading arrest, interfering with an arrest. About 58% of such arrests involved black suspects. Amazing. While only about 12% of the arrests involved non-black, non-Hispanic suspects, i.e. white. I'm, I'm glad that they took the Hispanics out of it, actually, because this is, uh, it's much more telling uh, when you take the Hispanic aspect out of it. And that's not because Hispanics are ne- necessarily violent or bad people or anything like that, okay? And, and we're not saying that about black people either, right? We're specifically talking about the criminal element, right? Criminals, bad people. Um, but there are Hispanic gangs, right? That's a common thing that you'll find in certain kinds of cities, especially, I think, probably Houston, you'll probably find Hispanic gangs. So it's good to take the Hispanic demographic out of that. Uh, Those statistics are pretty similar to the statistics from the officer-involved shootings. So while it's true that more than half the police shootings involved a black suspect, from the perspective of the Houston police, more than half the dangerous situations they encountered also involved black suspects. Police officers have a lot of leeway in deciding whether to book people on certain charges. For instance, in some cities, nearly uh, any minor pretext is enough for an officer to arrest a suspect on suspicion of assaulting a police officer. In New York, blah, 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 don't care. All right. I mean, I love this. I love this. At the end of the day, Fryer says, this is the economist that did the study, the black guy. He writes, at the end of the day, biases will still be possible. We can't randomly assign race, and we don't have the perfect social science experiment here. In the coming months, these and other uh, parts of the paper will be debated among academics as the study undergoes peer review. As Washington Post data... You know what's funny about this? I think, if I remember correctly, this article was was published, it was peer-reviewed, it was considered to be... Um, you know, solid academic research, and it was uh, it was well respected. But 
because there was so much backlash against it, uh, because the left was like, this is nonsense, this is terrible, I, we hate this. Uh, I, I, I don't know what, I think whatever the journal was that originally published it, retracted their peer review, you know, whatever, validation. They were just like, nope, nope, this actually, this is not a valid article. And they like retracted it or something like that. I can't remember exactly. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's, I think that happened. Um, let's see here. Black people are 2.5 times more likely to be shot dead by police, which is, which is actually a tragic. It, it shouldn't, that should not happen. Um, Looking specifically at the uh, th uh, 93 fatal shootings of unarmed civilians recorded by the Post, one scholarly an uh, analyst concluded that those civilians were significantly more likely to be black than white, even after taking into account the level of violent crime in the neighborhood of the killing. But they are, they are committing more crimes. Um, specifically, they're, co they're committing much more violent crimes. If you look at the statistics, it's terrible. Um, Friar goes a step further, looking at the broad range of details of individual cases and attempting to determine the level of danger the officer might have confronted. Friar, however, still does not have the answers he wants, he said. To make progress, we have to elevate the discussion here, adding, adding that he welcomes critiques of his study. If folks want to ask hard questions about whether Houston is representative or what if we use Chicago, God, man, exclamation point. Friar said, that's where we need to that's where we need to be in these discussions. I mean, I, I do think that he would have liked to find bias. Maybe not. Maybe not. But he, the guy was fairly assessing the situation. But this is not the only study. This is far from the only study to show that white people are actually more likely to be shot by police. I'm sorry I took so, took so much time with that. But um, but it is important. If we go look, look here, there's a lot of people who responded negatively about this race-baiting crap. Um, this guy, Greg Price, he writes, race baiting blue checks immediately assume that the boulder shooter was white. Turns out he's Middle Eastern. Well done, race baiting blue checks. Uh, Caleb Hull writes, uh, and again, and this, you know, he posts this thing. Um, this narrative really isn't going to age well because everybody keeps saying he's white and this is about white supremacy and all this. I actually responded about this on my Twitter. Let's see here. Where's my Twitter? There it is. Um, so this woman, Amy Siskind, who's like a known leftist piece of human garbage, she writes, let's mourn the victims, but not... Okay, so after she wrote something about how he's a white male and he's a whore, this is all white supremacy, she then wrote, let's mourn the victims... You know, after she found out he was a Muslim, she wrote, let's mourn the victims, but not glorify the killer with the attention of having his name widely known. So then I wrote... Oh, he's a Muslim? Crap. Nobody say his name. Nobody say his name. Maybe we can still pretend this guy was a racist Trump supporter. Exclamation point. And uh, I mean, I got quite a, quite a few likes compared to normal. I don't usually get that many likes, but the amazing Sebastian Gorka retweeted me. Um, and often when he does that, I get more likes than usual. I have two friends, two friends that retweet me occasionally. Sebastian Gorka and my friend Elijah Schaefer. If either, either one of them retweet my stuff, it blows up. But I'm trying to build my Twitter so hopefully, hopefully I won't need their help so much in the future. All right. Um, let's see here. Let's move on to the next story. We actually have quite a few stories, so I got to go quick here. Uh, now, this one, I love this story. I love this story. Let me find the article here. Okay, so it's called Mexican President Blames Migrant Crisis on Biden. <laughs> I love this so much because... Because... 
it's so unexpected. We read an article the other day about uh, Mexican officials uh, saying that Trump, you know, Trump's policies were better, that Trump's uh, that Biden's policies exacerbated this. Um... Let me check the comments just to make sure nothing horrible is going on here. Yeah, everybody seems to be okay. Nobody's complaining about the audio or anything like that. So, uh, all right, okay. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of, uh, I don't have a lot of viewers today. I don't know what's going on, but uh, anyway, guys, uh, thanks for watching. The ones who are here. Um, all right, let's move back to. Uh, let's move back to this story. Mexican President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador blames migrant crisis on Biden. So now we're not only saying that that. Uh, that Biden's doing a worse job than Trump or that his policies have aggravated the migrant crisis. Obrador is now just saying straight up, the migrant crisis is Biden's fault. I love this. Now, um, full transparency, full honesty, Biden doesn't control anything, right? He is a puppet and his puppeteers are at fault here. But let's continue reading. You guys understand that? Let's continue reading. Mexican President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador blamed President Biden President Biden, I hate when they write that, for the migrant surge that has erupted into a full-blown border crisis, arguing that the ex expectations he, he set left migrants with the perception that they would be led into the U.S. Whoever wrote this, New York Post, you're a good writer. I can read this very cleanly and easily. Lopez Obrador made the remarks while speaking to reporters Tuesday, the morning after his government met with Biden's envoys for the region who were visiting to address the record spikes in illegal border crossings. Expectations were created with the, um, sorry, expectations were created that with the government of President Biden, there would be a better treatment of migrants. And that's caused Central American migrants, and also from our, our country, wanting to cross the border, thinking that it's easier to do so, he said in, at his daily morning presser. Lopez Obrador, a center-left populist who developed a positive working relationship with former President Trump, added... People don't go to the United States for fun. They go out of necessity. Exactly. And we don't, you know, I on this show have always said, well, not on this show, but just in my personal life, I've always said that if I were a, a, a poor Mexican man, you know, in his, you know, I, I used to talk about this back when I was younger, in my 20s, I always used to say, yeah, I'd jump the border. If I could somehow get over across the border and make more money for my family, I would definitely do it. I mean, I think everybody would. Right, you want to help out your family. What's more important, some some other person's country's border laws or feeding your family? Of course, of course, you're going to try to cross the border, and of course, I have sympathy for these people. But there there are consequences to illegal immigration, negative consequences to the United States. The United States needs to take measures to stop it. And you know, the problem is not that the, I don't think that the left. I don't think the problem is that the left doesn't recognize the problem with immigration. I think that there are a lot of people on the left that do recognize there are problems with illegal immigration. The problem is that they realize that they get more political capital out of calling Republicans racist than they do uh, from rationally assessing any given situation. So any given situation where they feel that they can... Uh, they can gain political capital from calling Republicans racist. They'll take a really hard-line position, um, which doesn't really make any sense. It's not rational. Um, and But they don't care, because if it makes Republicans look bad enough, they'll be in power. They'll get elected. So although I do think that there are plenty of policy people on the left who do recognize Ill illegal, illegal immigration is bad for the country, 
they they also recognize that it's it's worse for Republicans if they if they basically just call any kind of opposition to illegal immigration racist. And so that's their position. And now they're screwed because now they're in power and they've got to deal with this crisis that they've created. Right. Unintentional consequences. Um, let's see here. The comments are not the first critiques Lo- uh, Lopez Obrador has offered of Biden's handling of the border, saying earlier this month, they see Biden as the migrant president, and so many feel they're going to reach the United States. We need to work together to regulate the flow because this business can't be tackled from one day to the next. Well, exactly right. I mean, I could keep reading here, but basically, um, you know, it's going to be stuff we already know. But the fact that the, the president of Mexico is now saying this, I mean, at the end of the day, what is the answer to the border crisis? It's, it's pretty simple, right? The answer to the border crisis is simple. Reinstate Trump's policies. Simple. Now, what Biden will probably do, or Biden's administration, if they're smart, again, they'll let themselves be sued to get the wall up. But m- my hope, and they might do this, is to reinstate Trump's policies, but using different terms, right? Using like really super sympathetic terms and nice language, flowery language. So it makes it look like it's their own policy, which is much kinder to the to the illegal immigrants, when in reality, they're essentially putting in the, the same policies as Trump did. But unfortunately, we're now in a position where we need much harsher um, reforms than we had during Trump's administration, because what Trump did is he, he stemmed the flow of illegal immigrants. But, you know, Biden's administration just sliced open the wound again, and it's in its, you know, we're bleeding, you know, the blood's, we're hemorrhaging now, right? We're, the blood's flowing uh, more than ever, and so we need a far more, you know, we need surgery now, you know, that <laughs> we, we need a, a far more drastic measures than what was done under Trump's administration. Like, I, I do think that at this point, we just need to start shipping illegal immigrants out of the country. Um, but let's let's move on to the next story because the next story um, again is about illegal immigration. Okay, so illegal immigrants to receive over four billion dollars in stimulus money. This is insane. Can you believe this? They're giving our stimulus money to illegal immigrants. Hey, do you want to get some free money from the United States? Just come break our laws. You'll get free money. We're rewarding people for breaking the law. This is completely insane. Okay. Report. Illegal immigrants to receive more than $4 billion in stimulus checks as part of Biden's COVID relief bill. Millions of illegal aliens are, are in line to be paid. I knew about this from a while back because in California, I think... This is what they're doing. Millions of illegal immigrants residing in the United States are set to receive uh, $1,400 stimulus checks as part of Biden's coronavirus relief package, according to a new report published this week by the Center of Immigration Studies. In the report released Monday, the think tank determined that as much as $4.38 billion will be doled out to individual. I don't want my tax money going to illegal immigrants for this purpose. I don't mind my tax money being spent to round them up and send them back to their home countries. You can do that with my money, but I don't want this my I don't want this to happen with my money. And you might say, well, more people should have voted Republican. I think more people did vote Republican, but can't talk about that here. Okay. You guys know what I'm saying. Um 
Okay. During the debate over the legislation, Ted Cruz took issue with that part of the bill's language, and he urged it would result in payments to illegal aliens. He introduced an amendment to stop that from taking place, but the measure was quickly rejected by the Democrat majority. Shocking. Um, Dick Durbin, uh, a Democrat, claimed that the undocumented immigrants do not have Social Security numbers, and they do not qualify for stimulus relief checks, period. But CIS Director of Research, Stephen Camerata, responded to Durbin's claims in the report, stating, this is incorrect. We estimate that there are 2.65 million illegal immigrants who have Social Security numbers that allow them to receive stimulus checks. We estimate that 2.1 million of these individuals have incomes low enough to qualify for the checks, and they have 1.1 million uh, U.S.-born dependent children. Holy moly. As a result, illegal immigrants could receive an estimated $4.38 billion in cash payments from the American Rescue Plan. What else? Anything else? Yeah, I'm, I'm done with this story. Uh, there's nothing... Okay, well... Let's see here. There are 653,000 illegal immigrants with deferred action for childhood arrivals. And Oh, hello, cat. And 411,000 with temporary protected status. CIS noted, adding... In fiscal year 2020, what are you doing? You stealing the, you stealing the limelight, buddy? You distracting from my amazing news talking about? What are you doing? Hey, Aston, come on, come on, get. Thank you. Um, anyway, long story short, illegal immigrants are going to get a ton of our taxpayer money, which is. Look, I, I have a great deal of sympathy for illegal immigrants. I actually do have a great deal of sympathy. Just, you know, the ones that are here to work and try to make money for their family and stuff like that. Not the ones that are, you know, obviously running drugs and doing other kind of criminal stuff. Um, but, but, uh, anytime we present any kind of legislation that helps out illegal immigrants in a significant way like this, we just encourage more illegal immigration. See, here's the problem. Illegal immigrants, or those who would like to become illegal immigrants, they know that they're going to have a difficult time in America if we have a conservative um, federal government, specifically a, a conservative president. And they know they're going to have a difficult time getting here. They know they're going to have a difficult time once they're here. But they also know that if a Democrat is in the executive branch, executive in the White House, and if we have uh, a left-wing, you know, legislature, then they're going to have a great time. Everything's going to be free and easy and, you know, at least that's their perception. And so, you know, just like we talked about in the last story, they're flooding up here because they want free stuff. They want to be, you know, they want an easier life. They want everything handed to them or they, they expect that it will be. And this is and this is what we're doing. You know, it's so funny that that uh, when they ask like Jen Psaki uh, or they ask, you know, some of these people like, don't you think your policies are encouraging illegal immigrants to come here? They'll say, no, no, I don't think so. We've told them this is not the time. We've told them this is not the time. But your actions do in encourage them. Your actions do tell them, come here. We will give you free money. It's it's terrible. The the whole you cannot incentivize this stuff because I mean you look at all the nasty stuff that happens when people are trying to I think that there was um somebody well, well, I don't remember what it was something like eighty percent of the women who are trafficked into the United States right eighty percent of the women who are trying to illegally 
immigrate into the United States. 80% of them, hey buddy, what's up? 80% of them are raped. Hey. Serious subject here, buddy, not the time. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of, of women. That's, that's tragedy. That is a human tragedy. And we need to deal with that uh, by stopping the flow of illegal immigrants. We need to stop this whole system from happening uh, for a, a number of reasons. I mean, we don't want to give... I reported the other day the number, the amount of money that the cartels are making. They're, they're making something, I think it was like $14 million a day they're making trafficking people to the United States. Oh, it's, I mean, it's unbelievable. We don't want to give money to human traffickers. We don't want to give money to the cartels. And we don't want to facilitate the rape of thousands of women. Don't, don't, don't. Ask them. Come on, man. Hey, come on. Go, go, go down. Yep, you got it. Yeah, there you go, buddy. All right. Well, yeah, it's a sad situation. It's terrible, and we need to fix it. And Joe Biden and, well, his administration, his puppeteers, have made the whole situation about a thousand times worse. Let's move on to the next story. Okay, so... Uh, the next story is there is declining support. This is another illegal immigration story. There is declining support for amnesty. Now, this is actually good news. This is the first good news uh, I think that I've read today, right? Let's see here. Politico poll. So this is Politico. It's a left-wing publication, as you guys know. Declining support for giving illegals citizenship. Support amongst Americans is declining for providing a pathway to citizenship for illegal immigrants. Whoa, hello. No. No. Uh, let's see here. Pathway to citizenship for illegal immigrants, even among Democrats, according to a new poll. Isn't that crazy? I love that. The Politico Morning Consult poll. Because, okay, what this means to me is that Democrats are starting to wake up. They're starting to see the truth a little tiny bit, a little bit. But that's all we need. We just need a little bit to hook them. And then we got them into the world of reality. Come join us into the world of reality. It's not that bad, guys. It's actually amazingly liberating to live in the world of reality. All right. Because you know what happens when you live in the world of reality? You look around and things make sense. <laughs> it actually makes sense of things. If you live in your fantasy world, you look around and you don't understand everything. Because nothing makes sense. Because you live in a world of fiction, a, fa a fantasy, a delusion. But once you wake up and you live in the world of reality, everything makes sense. It's like Tetris. It's like brrr, all the bricks start falling into place. It's amazing. Try it. Fantastic. Uh, although, yeah, I don't know if any leftists will ever see this, but yeah. Uh, it shows that 43% of voters overall think illegal immigrants now in the United States should be able to become legal citizens. That's, that's still too many people. That's a 14% point decline since January, with Democrat support plunged from 72% to 57% during that time, because they're seeing just how many illegal immigrants are trying to get into the country. Meanwhile, only one in four Republicans back the idea, a number that dropped by 10% uh, percentage points. Of those polled, another 19%. Why? Why, why, why do 25% of Republicans think that illegal immigrants deserve amnesty? I'd like to see how this report was worded, actually, this, this, uh, this poll. Because I don't think 25% of Republicans think that illegal immigrants deserve amnesty. That's insane. That doesn't, I don't know any Republicans that think that. All right, let's, I don't know. 
Maybe the Republicans in Maine or something. I don't, I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know. Oh, shoot. What did I do? That's not good. All right. Of those polled, another 19% that illegal immigrants should be allowed to stay and become legal residents but not citizens. And 27% said they should be removed or deported. I'm with them. I'm with the 27% that say they should be removed or deported. There's all of this concern that um, if we start deporting immigrants, there will be this news footage of men with guns raiding houses, rounding up illegal immigrants, and putting them in these, like, uh, you know, prison vans and then, like, shipping them out. I'm okay with that. I'm actually okay with it. If you're in the country illegally and you've been ordered to leave, you should be rounded up and and sent away. Um, I don't think the media should be reporting on that, like, you know, because it's an ugly thing to have happen. But here's the thing about that. If you do this ugly thing, if you round up illegal immigrants and ship them back to their home countries, once you start doing that, you're not going to have to keep doing it for very long. Because almost all of the illegal immigrants that are here will leave of their own volition. They will just leave, right? And for those who say, well, there's a lot of kids like, you know, what they used to call anchor babies, right? There's a lot of kids that were, were born here in America and their families live here. And what you'll be doing is you'll be tearing these families apart. You'll be tearing away, you know, the the uh, the illegal immigrants from the kids who were born here. But here's the thing. The kids who were born here, they don't have to stay here. They can go back to the other country with their parents. There's no reason that they have to stay here. They can come back here. Obviously, they're American citizens. So they can come back here if they want to come to college or they want to live here as an adult. Um, but they don't have to stay here. They can go back with their parents to their home country. That's totally reasonable. I don't see what the problem is with that. I mean, look, this is not the most this is not the the most kind-hearted way to deal with the problem. This is a, actually a very brutal way to deal with the problem, and I recognize that. But you need that in order to detour other immigrants from coming into the country. We need to have a secure border where we can tell who's coming in and who's well, who's coming in? We don't care who's leaving. <laughs> but we need to know who's coming into the country. We need to. That's that's critical. When you're the number one country in the world, there's a lot of people who want to abuse your country. Either they want to bring drugs in, you know, to, you know, to make some money. They want to scam people here. They want to, or they, they, you know, terrorists want to come in and knock you off the hill, right? Because you're the king of the hill. You know the game, the king of the hill. That's the way the world thinks. People think that the whole world just thinks like us. You know, oh, we're all just, we, you know, everybody loves, you know, nobody's racist. Everybody loves minorities. No, nobody hates gays. Everybody just loves gay people and trans and all this. No, most of the world doesn't think like that, guys. Most of the world is brutal, brutal, brutal pe- people. And they want to come into the country and they want to mess it up here, right? A lot of people do because we're the king of the hill. We're the best country. So everybody thinks that they look at us and they go, they're the best country. Let's knock them off their perch. And it's starting to work because leftists are letting it happen. It's, it's terrible because they don't recognize the threat. They don't recognize the threat. They don't realize people hate us. Um, or they want to just um, exploit us because we have a lot of money. So let's see here. Um, okay, people who polled were tied on whether they believed the immigration system was better when former President Donald Trump was in charge or if it was better under President Joe Biden. <laughs> I hate it when they say President Joe Biden. Better under Joe Biden. Uh, see, to me, this is ridiculous. Okay, this is just pure delusion. This shows, the, but also it's Politico. So I think these numbers are a little bit wrong. I think it's probably far better than this even says. It says, under Trump, um, the question is, uh, did it get worse? 40% say it got worse. 
uh, 12% say it stayed the same and 40% say it got better. No, it didn't. It got better, period. Uh, with Joe Biden got worse, 40% stayed the same, 24% got better, 23%. Okay, so this kind of indicates that people are a little bit sensible, right? They're realizing it definitely didn't get better under Biden um, to only 23% compared to the 40% under Trump. But like 24% said it stayed the same and 40% said it, uh, well, 40% said it got worse. That makes total sense. But 24% said it said it stayed the same. No, it didn't. Definitely got worse under Biden. The people who say it got better under Biden, they're like watching Rachel Maddow. They must be. Right? And the people that say it stayed the same, they're just probably people who have no idea anything about politics at all. I mean, they're polling morons, clearly. 40% say it got worse. I mean, that should be something like 90% at least. I mean, God, I mean, that just indicates to me that there's just a lot of people that are really stupid in this country or just really are not, do not care or not paying attention at all. Um, but I think that this, I think this survey is a little bit off. I think the numbers are better than this even. Because it's Politico, you know, who are they surveying? Probably Politico readers or something like that. Most people surveyed uh, also said that they think the United States is facing an illegal immigration crisis. 50% say there's a crisis. 34 say they're facing a problem, but let's not call it a crisis. <laughs> Those are Democrats. And uh, not facing a problem or a crisis, 9%. <laughs> Those are people that literally have their heads buried in the sand. They've gone to the beach, they dug a hole, they put their heads in, and then they've put sand in over it so they can't see, hear, or speak, or smell or taste anything other than the salty seawater. Uh, no, these people are completely just just not facing up to reality here. Uh, most people, however, said that they believe dreamers or young people who were brought to the United States as children should be able to stay and become citizens. Yeah, I, again, you know, it, it may seem cruel, but I don't think dreamers should be given citizenship or anything, any kind of benefit at all. I don't think they should be given a pathway. I am very much... Um, I'm really brutal about this because because I do think we need to make uh, a deterrent uh, against new people coming in. Is it really super fair to the people that got here? No. Lots of people have problems with their lives. Lots of people have tough lives. Um, you know, all of us have tragedy. All of us have trauma. We've all got to deal with some bad stuff. I would love to just be super nice to everybody all over the world. Let them all into the United States. Give them great lives. Give them millions of dollars. But the work, you know, it's you have to look at things in a practical way, and and uh, you know, from a political perspective, a lot of times you're stuck in what we call an ethical dilemma, and this ethical dilemma is between being nice to people and setting up incentives properly, and we have to set up the incentives properly. That's the number one thing we have to do as a country to protect the people who are born here that live here, and so, yeah. I say just take them all out. Just take every illegal immigrant out of the country. That's my policy. All right. I'm, I'm a bit brutal, though. You may disagree with me. All right. Let us move on to the next story. All right. So, oh, 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 oh guys, I love this new story. I love this. I love this story. Okay. So, okay. So this story is, even Bernie Sanders is not comfortable with Twitter banning Donald Trump. This is crazy. I can't believe Bernie Sanders has come out in support of Donald Trump. What what world is this? Where am I? What? Okay, I never said I could sing. And my voice is a little bit messed up right now. But that's supposed to be the Twilight Zone theme song. All right. 
that was that was really bad. I'm sorry about that. Okay, Bernie Sanders not comfortable with Trump's Twitter ban. I love this. I love this. So Senator Bernie Sanders, independent from Vermont, expressed re- reservations about the Twitter ban of former President Donald Trump, saying that he doesn't like the idea of, quote, a handful of high-tech people, end quote, wielding too much power. I don't know why that's the quote. Maybe you should have drawn it out a little bit further. It's from Epoch Times. Sanders made the remark in a wide-ranging interview with the New York Times in which Sanders was asked about Twitter banning Trump from its platform. I do feel particularly... I, sorry, do I feel particularly comfortable with the then-president of the United States? Okay, this guy doesn't know how to write. Tom... Ozemek, you need to become a better writer. Um, do I feel particularly comfortable that the then president of the United States could not express his views on Twitter? Question mark. I don't feel comfortable about that, Sanders said. Love that. Trump was kicked off the social media platform after the January 6th Capitol breach. The Twitter CEO, Jack Dempsey. No, there is no Twitter CEO named Jack Dempsey. There's a Twitter CEO named Jack Dorsey. Tom Ozemek. What are you doing, brother? It's pretty easy to figure out what the Twitter CEO's name is. That's just sad. Uh, I don't dislike you. I mean, you're writing for the Epoch Times. You must be a good guy, but <laughs> you got to check your work, man. Um, or somebody at the Epoch Times dropped the ball here. With, with Twitter CEO Jack Dempsey defending the decision in a series of tweets a week later. Uh, I'm not going to go into that. I'm not going to read this whole story. But what I am going to say is um, this kind of supports a theory that I have about Bernie Sanders, which I've had for a while now, because during the uh, election, I went through and I did did a deep dive research into all the candidates. And I especially did a deep dive into um, the prominent candidates like Bernie Sanders. And one thing I found about Bernie Sanders is that I don't think Bernie Sanders is actually a committed socialist, <laughs> which a lot of people are going to think I'm crazy for that. But what I found was that Bernie Sanders... I think, I think, found that when he was younger, like when he was in college, he discovered that, like, the socialist organizations, the far-left organizations, were a great way of getting chicks. Because if you look at old pictures of Bernie Sanders, he's not a good-looking guy. You know, he's got that kind of weird Bernie Sanders way of doing stuff, and he's always been like that. He's always been a bit of a weird guy, like a little bit antisocial, like a little bit of a, you know, maybe a problem. But he loves the ladies. He definitely likes uh, women. And so it seems like Bernie Sanders has been for his entire life. He recognized that he could get girls if he was a leftist. And then beyond that, he realized he could get power. He could get more popularity. He could make money by being a being a socialist politician. So I think for Bernie Sanders, being a socialist is all about personal gain. I don't think it comes from a place of principle at all. And I think a lot of the the policy positions he has are not policy positions he he would ever implement if he were actually like the president, right? I think that a lot of the way he speaks is bombastic rhetoric. I don't think I don't think he ever thought he would ever be president and I and I think that he he doesn't suspect that, that America would ever actually embrace socialist ideas and so he can safely espouse socialist ideas get a lot of attention from kind of like weird people and 
become more popular himself personally without actually endangering the country and pulling it into a socialist nightmare. That's what I think of Bernie Sanders. I don't think that he is in any way um, a real socialist or, or, you know, a socialist in principle. I, I don't think so. I think that he's a self-interested, he's just selfish. He's just a selfish, selfish man. He doesn't really care about the country that much. He doesn't really care about policy. He doesn't really care about anybody. He just cares about Bernie Sanders making more money, being more popular. You know, he always says, millionaires and billionaires are terrible, they're terrible. But now he's a millionaire, you know. he Bernie Sanders cares about Bernie Sanders. That's it. That is it. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about anybody. He doesn't care about socialism. He doesn't care about Russia or Cuba. He doesn't care about any of that. He cares about being provocative, making a name for himself, getting power. And because think about it like this. Donald Trump in a in a Marxist system, any kind of Marxist system, censoring his speech would be fine. There is no First Amendment in the Soviet Union. There is no First Amendment in China. There is no First Amendment in Venezuela, in Cuba. There's no First Amendment in communist countries. So Bernie Sanders' whole position is like this socialist, insane, nonsense utopia, which, you know, can't possibly exist. And now he's saying, but actually... It's a little bit disturbing. I mean, he's kind of exposing himself here a little bit, which is that he does probably to some degree recognize the value of the ideals of, you know, the American Republic. Um, and so he, he is conflicted between his, you know, the illusion of what he says he believes, you know, this BS socialist nonsense and the reality, which is that living in a free country, you have to have the First Amendment, and you have to have democracy, you have to have, you know, you have to live in something, something like democracy, democracy, a representative democracy, something like that. You know, socialism doesn't really work. He knows that. He knows that. He's a fraud, is what I'm trying to say. Bernie Sanders is a fraud. Okay, moving on. Next story, next story. This is the last story of the day, ladies and gentlemen. I know we did quite a few today, but I wanted to go, uh, you know, I wanted to, uh, there were a lot of great stories today. I wanted to cover them all. All right, so this one is this is crazy. Okay, guys. Oakland, California is going to give families of color $500 a month. It says liberal city. This is Oakland, California. Liberal city to give low-income families of color $500 a month. Now, I don't know if you've been to Oakland or you know anything about Oakland. It's black people. Okay. It's not people of color. It's black people. That's it. Um, I mean, there are some Hispanics and some Asians and stuff like that. But it's like, I, don't, let, let, I wonder if, let's see, Ian, let's do Wikipedia. Oakland, uh, California. Let's check out the demographics. Boom. Race and ethnicity. Oh, look. Actually, there's quite a few white people in Oakland. I didn't realize that. Black alone. Is this is this Oakland? Oakland's population? Okay, so I guess it's a lot bigger than I thought it was. I know of Oakland only from the stereotypical stuff on, in the media. <laughs> so I guess other races is quite a big chunk. Uh, we've got two or more races that, okay. Pacific Islander is a sliver, uh, Asian alone. That's the, that's this green. So that's actually quite a few people, Asian, uh, very few native Americans and black. Uh, this is the blue section. So white alone actually is the, is the biggest group. Um, but it would be something like 65% of people who are not, uh, white, something about 65% of the population would be getting this money. 
So I thought it was mostly black people. Okay, I am wrong. I stand corrected. Uh, it's very rare that I come on the show and I just go, I am wrong. But it does happen. It does happen. But look at the image that they've used. So they, they, they're, they're, they're buying into the stereotypical media stuff too. I didn't realize Oakland was so diverse, but it, apparently it is. Um, I have a friend that lives near Oakland, and he, he's, a, he's a far leftist. He's Jewish, um, but he doesn't live in Oakland. He lives in Berkeley, which is much nicer from what I understand. Anyway, this is by Brianna Lyman. Let's see if she's a good writer. Well, this is the issue that I have. I mean, okay, there's a lot of issues I have with this, obviously, but this is ridiculous. Look at this. This is the great white hope, ladies and gentlemen. This is one of these white leftists who think, I'm going to save all the black people. They're like these super patronizing, horrible people. I don't think black people can really make money on their own because they're just not smart enough. So I'm just going to give them money. Ugh. God, you these stupid people. They're so freaking patronizing. If you really care about black people, you will give them a better education and you'll give them better jobs. That's it. That's what they need. Okay, better education, better jobs. They need a better culture as well. So you need to talk to them honestly. You need to talk to them maybe brutally honestly. But black culture is not good, okay? It's it's terrible. It discourages black kids from getting education. It encourages violence. There's a lot of bad things about black culture. Um, and so we need to look at those bad things, and we need to adjust. And it's not just me talking about that, right? Black people are constantly arguing about how bad or good their culture is. White people have been removed from that conversation. And I think that's terrible. We should all be able to engage in it. If you really care about black people... Hold on a second. The wife is writing. Uh, it says here. <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? What are you? Oh, I, I clicked on the wrong thing. All right. She, she wrote, why instead of me is there a black rectangle on the screen? I don't support Black Lives Matter. Because <laughs> that camera is off. I, I clicked the wrong thing. There we go. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, Valeria, darling. Um, okay, let's see here. So. So yeah, so, so there's this uh, yeah, there's this idea that white people shouldn't talk, shouldn't criticize black culture, shouldn't criticize black people. I hate that because if you really care about black people, if you really care about America and Americans, because black people are Americans, all right. White people are Americans, black people are Americans, Hispanics, Asians, we're all Americans, all right. If we care about the people in America, the white people that are poor in the Appalachian Mountains, the black people that are poor in the ghetto. Uh, you know, Asian immigrants, Hispanic immigrants, if we really, really care about these people, then we'll actually talk realistically about the problems that they face and that they endure. And one of the major problems is black culture keeps black people down. And the biggest problem that black culture has, I think, is that black people are encouraged to be racist against white people. Racism is a cancer in black culture. It pervades most of black culture. I would say that over 50% of black people in America are racist against white people in some way. Probably well over 50%, probably a, a significant majority. And I think this stops black people and black communities from progressing. And we need to stop that most of all. That's the that's the biggest thing. We don't need to be giving them $500 a month. I mean, what a... What a oh, God, I hate these stupid people. All right, let's, let's read through there. Okay, low-income families of color in Oakland, California will now be eligible to receive $500 a month with, with no strings attached, the mayor announced on Tuesday. Don't worry about getting a job, ladies and gentlemen. You can just sit back, relax, play your PS4, and, and rake in $500 a month with no strings attached. 
probably if they probably for every member of the family. Or I guess just families, right? So it's not actually that much money, but it's it's still a disincentive to go work to go make something of yourself. We need privatization of schools. Okay, privatization of schools would completely revolutionize the education in this country, and it would fix a lot of what's wrong with with the the disproportionate number of black uh, families that are poor. I think. All right, Democrat Mayor Libby Schaff. The wor worst thing is she's German. That's a German name. I'm German. You're a disgrace to the German people, Libby. And, and Germany is kind of a leftist country as well, which is so ugh, just disgusts me. Uh, but it might be it might be Dutch. Maybe she's Dutch. I don't know. Uh, said the city would be hosting one of the largest guaranteed income pilot programs in the na uh, in the nation that will give 600 families who are either black, indigenous, or people of color. With low income, $500 a month for at least 18 months. Okay, so it's only 600 families. That's actually not that much money, but I still don't like the idea. But uh, we talked about earlier that uh, in Portland, they're talking about, or in Portland, in Oregon, where I'm from, they're talking about giving, talking about giving black people, I don't remember how much it was, just an insane amount of money for reparations. They want to give black Oregonians reparations. God, I just want to... Ugh. I, I I just leftists are so horrible. They're just so horrible. Okay, there's these elitist snobs who think that they're good people by handing out other people's money as charity. You know what, black people? We're just gonna give you money because we're such good people. Oh no, no, not my money. These people's money. I'm gonna give you their money. How about this? How about this? This is this is my I propose this all the time. Democrats are always talking about charity. They're always talking about giving, you know, reparations. They're always talking about this kind of stuff uh, to specifically to specific demographics like black people or whatever. Okay, if you think that's the right way to go, you pay for it, right? We have one tax for Republicans. We have one tax for Democrats. Democrats pay this like enormous tax because that's that's what you guys say that we need as a country. That would be fair. So go ahead and pay it. I'm okay with Democrats paying a super high tax. Do you guys pay your 90% tax or whatever it is that you think that you need to pay? Republicans, because we have a different strategy, we believe that there's a different, uh, you know, we believe that wealthy people can potentially create jobs for other people if they're business owners or whatever. Um, and so we don't think wealth is necessarily bad. And so we'll just keep our money and we'll keep investing it in, you know, in the country, in, in products and services, in the population, uh, hiring people, you know, as we see fit. We'll do that, and you guys do your strategy of just handing out all your money, all right? That's fair. That's what you guys think. That's what we think. Let's split it up. Democrat tax system, Republican tax system. Done. Beautiful. Everybody's happy. Okay. Uh, so Schaff, this, uh, this German white woman, says the poverty we all witness today is not personal failure it's a it's a systems failure she says in a statement guaranteed income is one of the most promising tools for sy uh, systems change racial equality good lord racial equity is what she means and economic mobility we've seen in in decades it's the most promising she says in decades I'm proud to work with such committed local partners to build a new system that can help undo centuries of economic and racial injustice and to point us towards a more just society. Oh, man. Low income is defined as being below 50% of the area's median income, which is approximately 59000 per year for a family of three. According to the mayor's office, half of the spots 
are reserved for very low-income families who earn 108, uh, 138% below the federal poverty line. White households in the city make an average of three times more than black households, according to Oakland Equity Index. Equity. So here's the problem with equity, guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a little rant about equity real quick at the end of the show here. So here's the problem with equity. I was talking to my brother about this uh, last night. Equity is not equity, right? Because equity is about making everybody equal. Making everybody equal. So we need equal representation in every aspect of humanity. So we need to make sure there's as, you know, there's 13% of the population is black, right? So 13% of engineers need to be black. 13% of airline pilots need to be black. 13% of billionaires need to be black in America. 13% of authors need to be black. 13% of of basketball players should be black, right? Because we don't have equity in, in the NBA, do we? We certainly don't have equity there, you know, the players are almost all black, right? Let's let's maybe make it 13% because that would be equitable. Um, but then we've got to make sure that the handicapped people are represented. So whatever percentage of handicapped people there are in the public, that needs to be the number of basketball players that are handicapped. We need to make sure because of equity. Midgets, midgets, little people, dwarves. We need equity for them as well. Whatever percent of the population they are, they need to be represented as basketball players, professional basketball players, and they need to be pay- all paid the same, no matter what their skill level, because of equity. LeBron James, he needs to be paid as much as the midget, no more, no less. He needs to be p- paid as, mu- <laughs> as much as any of the handicapped players, no more, no less, because equity. Um, people with who have mental... Uh, I don't know what they call it. Mentally handicapped people. What do they call it? They used to call it mental retardation. I don't know what to call it now. It's like offensive calling people retarded. But those people need to be, people with Down syndrome need to be represented. Whatever percentage of the population is, that's the percentage of professional athletes with Down syndrome that need to have representation in the NBA or any other professional sports because equity, equity. Um, you know, when we do racing, when we do actually like sprinting and stuff like that, do the fastest runners, do they have to slow down so that everybody finishes exactly the same time because of equity? I mean, the truth is equity is nonsense. It's not It's not a real thing. Equity is just a way for other people, for people who want certain people to be successful, to pick the winners and the losers. We need to hurt these people because they are too successful, they're too good, they're, too, they're winning too much, and we need to help these people because they're not winning enough. Um, it doesn't matter about the skill level. It doesn't matter about the talent. It doesn't matter about the education. It doesn't matter about the work ethic, the ambition. None of that stuff matters. But because there's historic inequity in the world, <clears throat> we need to create more equity. We need to create more equity. Um, but they don't believe it. They don't really believe it. They only believe it in certain instances uh, because that's what they want. It's all just about what certain people want. It's not about things being fair. It's not about things being just. It's about just what some people want. It's a total farce. It's a total con. Do not believe it. Laugh in their faces when they talk about it. Look, Democrat politicians, they know all this. They know all this, okay? It's just the voters that have been duped, that are so gullible they believe all this crap. The Democrat politicians are, in fact, criminals. They're con men. They're criminals. I know I say that every episode, but it's true. All right. Okay. This is going kind of long, I assume. What are we at? Yeah, I've already gone half an hour over. I'm so sorry that this lasted so long, you guys, but I'm so happy you stayed with me. And I will jump into 
the questions and comments now, if anybody has any. And uh, let's see if you guys have anything that you want to say. Okay, this thing... So, because I'm not on this... Okay, section... Okay, here we go. Sean... Oh, man, guy. I, I don't know. I can't pronounce words. Sean Boheen. Pretty sure that's how you pronounce your name. I don't know if that's right. Um, B-O-A-H-E-N-E. It's, it's a strong-sounding name. It sounds good. Um, speaking about privatizing schools, you hear about the young man who created a school for black teen boys. He was criticized by Roland Martin because he said blacks need to rely on themselves, not government. Man, Roland Martin is just a total piece of work, isn't he? Um, I did not hear about that. I will actually read about that when I, when I end the show because I find that fascinating. I love the idea of the privatization of schools to help literally everyone. It would help literally everyone. Uh, because what you would end up having, because my brother, I'll tell you a story about why I, it's so important to me, privatization of schools. Um, my brother had dyslexia when I was growing up. It was very severe. He couldn't read. He could not learn how to read. Okay. The, the public school that he was in could not teach him how to read. Uh, my father made a decent amount of money uh, from a business that he had started. We have a plastic extrusion business up in Oregon. And my mother was a dental hygienist. Well, my mother quit her job because my, my parents had a discussion about this. How do we help Nick? How do we help my brother out? And my father, who was also dyslexic, was basically like, I'm not going to let that kid grow up unable to read. So we're going to fix this. So they had a discussion. They decided that my mother would quit her job and she would spend five days a week driving my brother an hour to Portland, sometimes over an hour because, you know, traffic and stuff over an hour to Portland which was quite a long drive it's quite far and then again pick him up at the end of the day and drive him back to Salem Oregon where we were from and so every single day for years my mother would drive my brother up to this school that was specially a special private school for dyslexic kids so that my brother could learn to read it cost our family a ton of money and it cost my mother a ton of time my mother would get these like, these like, um, these like these silly jobs uh, that paid like almost no money, just so that she would have something to do during the day. Because she didn't want to drive all the way back to Salem, and then drive back up to Portland to pick Nick up. So she just spend the day in Portland. But she was she would get bored up there, so she would get jobs like delivering phone books. This is back when phone books existed. <laughs> I mean, jobs that paid nothing, but just to give her something to do during the day. But she sacrificed all that time, and we sacrificed all that money to send my brother to this uh, special school for dyslexic, and he did learn to read. But that got me thinking, because I had other friends that were dyslexic in Salem, and I realized that we were very lucky as a family. Because when I, when I was born, we were very, very poor. Like, my family was very poor when I was, like, a little kid. But by the time my brother was in high school, or I think it was maybe junior high, we had enough money that my mother could quit her job and she could spend time doing this for my brother every day. And this was a sacrifice that could not have been made by most families that I knew. Um, and so we were in this terrible situation where there were probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of kids. Well, probably hundreds, because we only had about, I think, 100, 000, I don't know how many people we had in our hometown. 250,000, something like that? I don't know. I don't remember how many people there are in Salem, Oregon. You guys can look it up. But anyway, there were, there were definitely hundreds of kids in, in the various schools around Salem that were dyslexic and probably would never really grow up reading well. 
and they just couldn't afford it. They just couldn't afford it. They, they couldn't afford the time. They couldn't afford the, the, the cost of it. My, my family could. We were very, very lucky. And I realized, as I would hear about like privatization of schools and stuff like that, voucher systems and things like that, which I first heard from John McCain, by the way, which, you know, I know Trump and John McCain don't like each other, and he's a bit of a rhino-ish kind of guy. But I liked that. I liked that he pushed this school voucher thing. That's when I first heard of it. And I thought, that's genius. Because if you could have a private school that the government paid the students to go to, or, you know, paid the school for the students to go to in Salem, every dyslexic kid in Salem would have been able to learn to read. It's just, it's just, it's a disgrace that we don't do this sort of thing in this country. It's, it's sickening. And it's all because of the flipping teachers unions are too powerful. They're flipping evil. They're horrible. This tenure system is awful. Teachers unions, they need to go. We need to fight the teachers unions. They're the worst thing that ever happened to this country. Well, that's probably not true, but they're, they're, they're not good. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sean Boheen also wrote, I'm sorry. The young man said, don't rely on government. And that's why he was criticized. Yeah, okay, so he was just he was just uh, mending what he said there. Uh, and then he's written, uh, he gave me another 15 bucks, thanks man. Um, oh, that was the first thing, privatization of schools, and then he wrote, sorry. Okay, so that's all of the super chats, uh, uh, but, oh, I, I guess you guys probably sent me a lot of more other super chats earlier, but I didn't find them. Let me, let me kind of try to go through these. All right, Daniel J. Corica our patron here, patron Daniel here. My grandparents came here legally in the early 1900s. My grandfather served in the army. I find this current situation insulting. I know you guys, like all, all most of us have people who immigrated in this country at some point or another, and they all came in the right way and they all worked really hard and they all had a certain mentality of becoming Americans. Valeria wrote, you missed so many super chats. I bought one for $99. <laughs> In the beginning, and the other people were buying Super Chats. Now they all disappeared. I'll look through it, okay? See, this is why I need you here, darling. You can't just disappear on me for your work. All right, well, let's see here. Okay, so somebody's written a Super Chat down here at the bottom. Uh, okay, this is Nathaniel. Nathaniel, I know you, Nathaniel. Thank you. Uh, I lived with a black roommate for two years. They taught me in detail how to game the system. They hadn't worked in eight years and were bringing in $4,000 a month. That's insane. Uh, I used to work as a... Um I used to work as a valet, and everybody I worked with is black. And I actually loved these guys, like literally loved them like brothers. I mean, they, these we were like a, a family, you know. We were <laughs> a good team. Uh, we did a lot of good work together. Uh, we ran, and we drove awesome cars, and I mean, it was, it was cool. I mean, they should make a movie about... Uh, about our time as as valets, I would probably embellish it a little bit, but uh, we had some adventures. We had some serious adventures. Uh, these guys were great guys, and uh, I won't name them in case. <laughs> some of them are actors out here. Some of them have gone back to their hometowns because they they didn't really like it here in LA. But uh, man, we had some great times. But um, but yeah, they would they would they had little cons that they would do. This was this was typical for all of them. They would just steal a little bit of money from the company that we were working for. And I, and I was totally against this and I, you know, I spoke up against it and, and I refused to take part in the, in the, in the scam. But the problem was they weren't taking that much money, but the, the, the problem was that I really, really liked it. There was a, these were really good guys, despite the fact they were stealing for the company and they're just skimming a little bit off the top, but uh, nevertheless, it was still stealing. And I, 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 I'm not that kind of a person. I don't do that sort of thing. So um, I would speak up against it, but I, there was no way that I could, 
you know, rat out my buddies. I mean, these guys were really, you know, really close friends of mine. So, but that's certainly, that certainly was going on there as well. But at least these guys, I mean, these guys weren't scamming the system in the sense they were taking welfare or anything like that. They were just, they were just skimming a little bit of, uh, from the company that we were working for. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you get this with every group. I mean, there's white people who scam the system. There's black people who scam the system. There's Mexicans. I mean, it's, I, I wouldn't want to racially profile a group for scamming, you know, for welfare fraud. By the way, we should make clear, not a lot of people know this, 50% of welfare in America is, is, is welfare fraud. 50% of the money that we spend on welfare for poor people is, goes to welfare fraud. We should never reward people for crime. Never reward people for crime. Um, so we really need to fix the welfare system. Okay, let me go through and try to find some more of these super chats. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Let's see here. Huh, that's weird. I can't find I can't find any of the super chats. Valeria said that she sent one. Uh okay, let's see here. Big Mac. The Big Mac, uh the big magic box uh says, Chris, you was a good guy. R.I.P. Bliat. Bliat. I think this must be Elena. This must be Elena. Well, what, what do you mean R.I.P.? Well, what did I say? What did I say? I didn't. I didn't do anything terrible. Um. Yeah, I can't go back. I don't think I can go back to the other super chats uh, from today. And Valeria's not here, so I am so sorry if I missed your super chat. I I am actually very sorry. Let's let's read here. This guy uh, Kyle Fuller wrote. Uh, I just noticed that your thumbnail is twenty fourth February twenty twenty one instead of March. Oh crap! I better change that, huh? I, I grabbed the. I just saw the twenty four and I clicked on it. All right, I'll fix that. I'll fix that. Thanks. Thanks for letting me know. Otaku Magnet wrote: Private school vouchers would end up like college and hospital costs. Everything backed up by the government becomes extortionist. I, I don't actually think that's necessarily true. I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, some would, but some might not. What, what's what's Valeria saying here? Hold on. The wife is writing, ladies and gentlemen. Um, because the chats are disappearing, I will kill you. R.I.P. to you. Hey, I can't, I can't do the show and read the chats all the time. Like I'm not even on the. I guess I could, I could have popped out the chat thing, but I, I'm, I'm not used to it because I always have Valeria here. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. That's what she meant. Okay, that's what Elena meant. Don't think anybody's going to kill me. Oh, did she write a super chat? Well, Valeria, just, just tell me what she wrote, and I'll respond. Okay, let's see here. Uh, Dark Crusher said, I did figure out how to read, but I say stuff backwards all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's interesting? My father was dyslexic growing up, and he now has a pretty successful business. Uh, and by pretty successful, I mean pretty, pretty, pretty darn successful. And um, I was reading an article about how there, there's this idea that um, dyslexics, for whatever reason, statistically speaking, um, dyslexic, dyslexics actually are able to make more uh, successful businesses. They're better entrepreneurs than people who are not dyslexics. There's like an inordinate number. Um, they're overrepresented in, in, in among, among successful entrepreneurs. Now, why is that? Well, the article speculated that it was probably because when a lot of dyslexics are growing up, they're basically told that they're stupid uh, and that they won't succeed by, by you know, bad teachers. 
And they're told that because the teachers don't always recognize that, you know, the student has a problem and they don't know how to fix it. So they're just like, you're just not, you're just not going to be successful. You're not, not smart enough. The thing is being dyslexic is not the same thing as being stupid. If it's very hard for you to read, it's obviously very hard for you to do the work, but that doesn't mean that you don't have the same cognitive ability as this guy who can read really, really well. It's just that you have this problem where it's difficult to read. So a lot of dyslexic people are way smarter than you think they are. And when they're told their whole lives that they're stupid, they feel like they have to prove to everybody, no, I'm not stupid. You just don't understand. And so they get this drive in them to go succeed in life. And so you got this inordinate number of very successful dyslexics in the world. Like a lot of famous people you wouldn't, you wouldn't think are dyslexic are in fact dyslexic. You should look up. It's fascinating. And I told this to my dad and he was like, yes, that is me. <laughs> He's like, that's what happened to me. He's like, my whole life, everybody told me I was stupid. I'm like, I know I'm not stupid, but I can't read this stupid stuff. And he's like, I don't know how to deal with this. And he's like, okay, I'm just going to prove to everybody I'm not stupid. So he started this business. It was very successful. That's what he did. He was like, yes, that is me. So anyway, fascinating thing about dyslexics. All right, let's see here. Uh, 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 Mark in Alberta writes, it's WrestleMania season, brother. <laughs> it's random. <laughs> All right, let's see here. He also wrote, uh, can I feel, can I freely migrate to America under the Biden administration, question mark? Um, I've heard you have better guns. <laughs> kind of random. Don't really understand that, but okay. Uh, Rum Becker writes, you missed my super chat. I wanted to say I'm sorry for calling you fat the other day. <laughs> Don't worry about it, brother. I call myself fat probably every single episode. Frank James writes, uh, did you look up the Archie Bunker on gun control yet? Uh, search YouTube. You won't be sorry. Okay, I will I'll look it up now, and I'll just have it here. Archie Bunker gun control. Okay, so I'll watch that after the show. All right. Oh, sorry, let me go back to the live stream thing. Yeah, if you wrote a super chat, I missed it. Just write at toxic masculinity, and that'll come up as orange. You know, at and then toxic space masculinity. Uh, that'll come up and I'll, and I'll be able to uh, see it and then I'll respond to you real quick. Let's see here. Uh, Otaku Magnet, put the chat on your TV. Oh, that's a good idea because I do have another monitor here. I brought in a TV. I haven't hooked it up right though. So yeah, I, I'll do, maybe I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> all cats are autistic, says Jesus is God. <laughs> Just writes, I'll hang out here. Go for it. I don't know what that means. All right, let's see. Otaku Magnet says, uh, my wife has dyscalculia. <laughs> she was told by her teacher and parents that she would fail at everything and um, and to just get used to it. And did she end up being a successful person? That's the big that's the big question. Um, if the if the twist to that story is, and she did in fact end up being a total failure, uh, then it's probably not a great story. Kind of funny. <laughs> not a great I assume that she did relatively well in life. Um uh, this guy writes, uh, or this Jesus is God writes, I have an autistic daughter. She loves cats. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I have an autistic cousin. Autistic people are interesting um, because my cousin in particular, I don't know why, but she didn't like to be touched. She never liked to be touched, but she was a very loving person. She was a very good, good person, loving person. And uh, we just got along very well every time I visit her in Pennsylvania. Just to, you know, they always say like autistic people have beautiful souls or whatever. I mean, she, she really did. She's just an, an amazing, wonderful uh, person. Uh, but, uh, 
But yeah, she didn't like to be touched, so you couldn't give her a hug. <laughs> At least I could. But she was a little nervous about around us, I guess, because we didn't visit that often. But uh, very good person, very good person. Uh, let's see here. Jesus is God says, I showed her Aston, and she told uh, she told that that was an expensive breed. Yeah, yeah, it is a very expensive breed, and I never should have got paid so much money for a cat. But because I'm allergic, that's that's that, that's the only one I knew that was hypoallergenic. I, I ran to a guy in Portland who had one on his shoulder, and it was such a beautiful cat. And the girl I was with at the time, I know I always talk about my exes, but the girl I knew at the time, she loved cats, and she was like, oh, I want to pet that cat. So we went up, she pet him. And, the, and I said, I can't, I can't. She, he, the guy was like, you want to? I'm like, nah, I, I'm allergic to cats. I, I can't pet the cat. But I love cats. I grew up with a cat, a cat you know. And the guy said, no, no, no. If, if, if you're allergic to cats, you, you, you're probably not allergic to this one. It's, a, it's a, a bangle. And between the fact that it was like the most beautiful cat I've ever seen and the fact that I was not allergic to it always made me want one. And so when I finally got enough money, I could buy a bangle. The big problem with me and Valeria, well, one big problem that we have, is that we're both always home all the time, but I'm working like 90% of the time at home. So I always felt like I was neglecting her. Like she would just be sitting on the couch on her phone and I'm sitting there doing all my work and every once in a while I'd look over and I'd think, I'm a bad husband. So I wanted to get her a bird or a cat because she likes birds. But she said she didn't want a bird because birds are very loud and they um, knock their seeds around. So they're very messy. Um, so we got Aston and Aston turned out to be way louder than any bird ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's pretty clean, so that's good. That's good. Uh, let's see here. Uh, okay. Okay, Ataku Magnet writes that his wife graduated college on her own despite being dyslexic. That's awesome, man. Uh, that's great. Your, your, wife's, your wife is very cool. Dyslexic people are actually usually very smart, very interesting, and very cool people. I, I very rarely met a dyslexic person that I didn't like. Um, although the ones that are hyper, that have hyperactivity, uh, attention deficit disorder can be annoying. Uh, and you know, because sometimes those go hand in hand. I don't really know why. Um, my brother has all of those issues, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, but of course we love him to death because he's my brother. Um, but he is, he is an intense person. He's an intense person. Uh, Frank James wrote my name, but didn't write anything. Let's see here. Uh, Ghostface Vanilla writes something nice for Valeria. Okay, I'll buy Valeria something for ten bucks. <laughs> Thank you, Ghostface Vanilla. That's awesome. Uh, Eric Thibodeau, Thibodeau uh, writes uh, autistic can't stop the information from overflowing. You and I can block the sound of the TV, fridge, fan, and all in the same room, as well as the colors and light and smells. They cannot. I have heard that. I've heard that they have like sensory overload all the time which is why they're so sensitive and maybe like why they don't want to hug or, you know, they've got to kind of be in places where they don't have so much information coming in. Valeria C writes, thank you. And lots of heart emojis for Ghostface Vanilla. Hey, what's going on here? What's with those heart emojis? Not cool, wife. No, I'm kidding. It's cool. It's great. Uh, uh... <laughs> Let's see. Ghostface Vanilla gives a thumbs up to the wife. Um, <laughs> Maria Delport writes, Chris almost went an entire show without bringing up one of his exes. Almost. <laughs> yeah, it'll happen one day, I'm sure. Uh, Frank James said, did my super chat show up? I don't think so. Uh, right. Oh, gosh. Right. Right. At toxic masculinity and then write write your question or whatever it is that you wrote for the super chat. And then I'll I'll know what you wrote. Um. Jesus God says, thank you for the show. Love the Mr. Reagan. 
and share your videos on my social media. Well, thank you so much, Jesus is God. My social media is just dying, dying. I've lost, I think, something like 300 subscribers on, on Mr. Reagan this week. Um, YouTube has just decided that it is not going to show my videos to anyone who's not already subscribed. So if you're not subscribed to Mr. Reagan, please do so. Please uh, encourage your friends to do sh to to subscribe to my Mr. Reagan channel. I don't really know what to do about that. Uh, I'm I'm trying to work with my manager to talk to YouTube to try to fix it. Um, but that's why I started this channel because I wanted to uh, have something outside of Mr. Reagan that could possibly that I could shift to if Mr. Reagan gets canceled, um, or to just diversify you know what I'm doing. I like to do these live streams. What this has been able to uh, what this has enabled me to do is that I take, you know, you, you guys know how I do this, right? I do the live stream and then I have an editor chop up all the individual segments and then post them individually. Well, what I've been finding is that I can sort these in order of the most popular segments and then I can turn one of those segments into a Mr. Reagan video and that allows the Mr. Reagan audience to see some interesting stuff that maybe they weren't, they didn't know they wanted to see, but, uh, but it's the most popular stuff from the Toxic Masculinity channel, so I figure that the people from... Uh, the Mr. Reagan channel will want to see that stuff. Some people have complained about the change in format or the fact that I'm taking videos from Toxic Masculinity, but I think it's a benefit to the uh, the fans of Mr. Reagan. It's also an easier way for me to make content. Not that I'm going to stop making Mr. Reagan content. I will still make the sort of premium videos uh, that aren't live streamed that are just recorded uh, and edited. I'll obviously going to keep making those. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to make them since I do this show every day, but... Uh, but I'm still doing tons of research. I've got lots of uh, scripts uh, going all, all, all at the same time. So hopefully I'll be able to produce a bunch more Mr. Reagan videos shortly that are just pure Mr. Reagan videos. But yeah, this gives me an option to put in a bunch of these videos. Um, I'm, I'm pretty far behind on my commitments. Um, I, I signed contract with a bunch of different uh, companies that support Mr. Reagan channel. And I'm way behind on that. So I needed a lot more content. And this sort of incidentally, I, I wasn't intending for it to give me a bunch more content, but this did. So I can take segments from this, put it on Mr. Reagan, put an ad in, and then I'm fulfilling my commitment. And some of them actually are getting more views than my um, Mr. Reagan videos that are created specifically for the Mr. Reagan show. And a lot of that has to do with YouTube suppression. But a lot of it, I think, is just that people want to see some of the topics that I haven't decided to make into Mr. Reagan shows, but I've covered on this show. All right, let's see here. Um, Dame Piglet writes, check out James Lindsay. He documents wokeness. Uh, he's, uh, he's my brother, Andrew Bewart, uh, in the house tonight. Oh, yeah, Andrew Bewart. I like, I like that guy. James Lindsay, he documents wokeness. James Lindsay. I'll write his name in here. Lindsay. All right, I'll check out. Looks like he's big on Twitter. I may actually follow him already. All right, well, let me... I'll go ahead and check him out for sure. Thank you for that. Um, and then Frank James writes, at Toxic there we go. Super chat. Mark Mark and I are going to illegally cross into America to get in on the $4 billion and buy guns, AR-15s. <laughs> Super chat was like 700 bucks. Oh, wow. <laughs> you're lying. But I, I do appreciate the fact that you're going to cross the border, <laughs> get some of our stimulus money, and buy AR-15s. That cracks me up. That whole AR-15 thing is so ridiculous. They think that they're M16s. I mean, that's the problem. The, the left thinks that AR-15s are M16s. That's what they think. They're wrong, obviously, but that's what they think. Maria Delport writes, your videos don't show up when you search it on YouTube. Well, they do, but there's like 200 less relevant results before yours. It sucks. I know. They hate me. Um, 
Kiwana uh, Hurt writes, what if you call your channel The Happy Socialist? Or do they actually watch your channel before present, preventing others from watching it? I think what they do is they have um, you know, an alg algorithmic uh, word search. And so they can, they can, whatever it is, I try to speak clearly and I don't mince my words, uh, which is a bit of a problem. I should talk, you know, I should talk in code or something like that, but I don't want to bother. I just want to be honest with people. And, uh, and YouTube will definitely be able to catch a lot of the stuff that I say. I would say something like two thirds of my videos get demonetized as soon as I post them. And then about three quarters of the videos that get demonetized, um, upon review, get get remonetized because there's nothing bad in them. Um, and I would say that the quarter of of the of the stuff that's demonetized and then manual review uh, says that they are in fact they do in fact violate their rules or something or they're bad for advertising or something like that. They're not really, uh, but the people doing the manual review are are just wrong. Okay, there's nothing bad. In, I mean, you guys watch my show. You know what I think about things. I, I'm. You know, I try to be, God. YouTube's crazy. We all know that. <laughs> Frank James writes, I reposted the super chat. It's just above. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I got it. I got it. Okay, guys. Um, are you using Rumble or any other video sites? I am. I am using Rumble. I did try to use Rumble, but I didn't grow on that site at all. So I used Odyssey. So I have this site. I have this channel mirrored on Odyssey. Um, I think I also have it mirrored on BitChute. So you can check out my channel, uh, any of those things. Um, but um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that soon there are other better alternatives created because I don't really like Rumble. I don't really like uh, any of the alternatives. I think YouTube is, is so far the best. So we're going to have to figure something out. Uh, to, to destroy YouTube. I don't know if it's possible because Google is a megalith company, but anyway. All right, well, that's it for me. Uh, thanks for watching, Valeria. Thanks for being in the chat. You guys are awesome, and I will see you guys tomorrow. It'll be a better show because Valeria